electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Yeah, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. I've got people to make friends just trying to make some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to put it in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Where were the buyers last week? Why did they only come out in full force today with the Dow surging 587 points, the S&P jumping 1.40 percent, Nasdaq surging 0.79 percent. We just had a vicious decline culminating in a sickening Friday give up. It's almost too ridiculous to believe people who hated Caterpillar down five last week now love it when it's up five. They despised the rails last week. Remember, they just said, oh, the West Coast port. Oh, no, what was me? Well, today, all aboard. The stocks are up big. Uh, uh, did they solve the port crisis over the weekend? Home Depot got obliterated last week. Allegedly because people aren't spending as much money on their homes. Today it soared. Did something change? Has the home spigot reopened? In truth, nothing has changed. Nothing except the stock prices. I often say that buyers or sellers are being dumb as a bag of hammers. But those of us who prognosticate for a living, well, we got to be a lot more careful about finding a reason for the day-to-day action. And when I say finding, I mean inventing. Often the real reason why stocks are moving is not the obvious reason. Consider last week's sell its textbook. A lot of that weakness was just plain artificial. What do I mean by artificial? Well, first, we had a series of programs that played out on Friday, and they played havoc with prices. There was an S&P reweighting exercise, a select real estate investment trust change that put immense downward pressure on the market. We didn't know how or why and couldn't call it out. Who knew? Only those directly involved could understand the ramifications. But when you get those sell programs the same day that a Fed official, James Bullard, talked about hotter inflation and a need to raise interest rates sooner than expected, well, it was bone crushing. But it was also an opportunity. Bye, bye, bye. 
And there could be another one coming up this Friday when we get the huge Russell rebalancing. They're relating Russell 1000 and 2000 indices. We don't know the direction of what will happen. But if we get any big news that could be interpreted negatively, I expect the market to go down. Sell, sell, sell. And maybe it's opportunity. Now, we better hope some of the big money managers stick around Wall Street, because if they go to the Hamptons too early this Friday, well, could end up looking a lot like last Friday. Is this fair? Is it right? Well, that's irrelevant. It's the way the market works. Sometimes stocks move, and it's all about the mechanics of the market, not the fundamentals. All we can do is stop drawing facile conclusions from the action. You've got to take your cue from Macbeth here, because there are days, like Friday, when the action is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Second cause of last week's selling, I always say the bond market doesn't lie, but bonds can still mislead you. On Friday, bond yields plummeted, and that sent us searching for conclusions. I heard all kinds of crazy explanations. The Delta COVID variant can't be stopped. Anyone who hasn't been vaccinated will get sick. Maybe people who haven't been vaccinated will get sick. Especially students will bring the virus home with them. So get ready for another huge wave, which will shut everything down. We certainly heard that, right? Uh, that's insane, though. More than half the country has gotten at least one dose of the vaccine, and we're working to try to get it so 70% get it by July 4th. What else? I heard the shocking rise in price is going to lead to a vicious rate hike. So I'll go from the Fed. And Jay Powell's dovish comments were simply him playing good cop to the real cop, James Bullard, who's taking a more hawkish turn. I heard the situation with China is getting more and more out of hand. So there's a flight to safety in bonds. Oil spiking, always a bad sign. Finally, with Europe about to experience yet another round of COVID, the bond market there represents no value. So foreign investors are swapping into U.S. Treasuries. Let's think about this. Some of those explanations even sounded convincing. But then when we come into today, oil's rallying like mad and no one cares. Market's up huge. Bond yields soared, undoing most of Friday's action. It's like that move never happened. Given that stocks react to bonds, today's snapback in Treasury yields made this rally inevitable. At this point, you have to recognize that there are times when even the bond market can't be trusted as a barometer. It led us astray on Friday. When there is a tidal wave of selling, like we had last week, sell, 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 sell. it's incredibly daunting for you. I mean, I went out quoting one of my best hedge fund sources saying it was the fantastic opportunity he's been looking for. When I checked in with him today, I asked what he knew. He just simply said things look good. Uh, why not be long? He did no selling into today. Of course, now we have to figure out which move is lying and which one's telling the truth today or Friday. We can't say the jury's back and today's move is the real one because that would be too glib. Rather than trying to judge the overall action, I think the right move is to buy great stocks like three opening plays, the travel companies, the favorite oils, Chevron and Pioneer, or the companies that have just reported incredible numbers like Adobe. It's not too late to buy something like The Gap, which just came on the show last month, told us a terrific story, yet its stock has done nothing. You don't often get a chance to buy the stock of Home Depot down 40 points from its high, do you? Sure, it was up today, but it's still down big versus where it was trading just six weeks ago. I'm still mystified by what went wrong at Ka- with Cal Tomei's first analyst meeting at the uh, United Parcel Company, where she's CEO. She was brought in for a specific reason, to stop sacrificing margins in order to take, mar- uh, to take some market share but run the company in a far more disciplined way. FedEx reports this week. I mean, what was she really doing? She's, instead of just trying to take share, can we make more money per envelope? Anyway, uh, she reiterated this, the game plan that made her take the job, and somehow the stock got crushed. That, that's crazy town. Finally, I had American Express on the show this week. I don't know if you caught it. 
The new CEO, Steve Square, he came to uh, Bar San Miguel, which is uh, a Mexican tavern in uh, Carroll Gardens, I own. And he told a story about new products that will let Amex take share at the register for small and medium-sized businesses. He made it clear that the great reopening is even stronger than we think, and his company is uniquely prepared for it. Given that few other companies share that ready stance, you probably can count them on one hand. How you cannot buy some American Express, you're stunning. Yes. Do you know that the stock rallied one day and then had three straight down days as if nothing new was said when I interviewed Steve? It was all new, for heaven's sake. This market's gotten so fixated on the meme stocks, most of which are now horrible performers, that it doesn't get the blue plate specials when they're placed right in front of you. Now, though, the market's overcome last week's negativity. If history's any guide, that should bring out defenders galore. Typically not for the stocks that are down. No, no, no. But for the ones that are up so much. No sense in getting behind an AMD when you can push a Texas Instruments or an analog devices. Why not push Honeywell down a gazillion from its highs or Lockheed Martin after we just heard on Squawk on the Street how great things are going? So here's the bottom line. Tomorrow, traders will go for the winners, not the losers, because it looks like we forgot everything that took us down on Friday. Otherwise, we wouldn't be up so strongly today. And by forgot, I mean the artificial forces that drove us down have disappeared. They're no longer in play. Let's go to Carol in New York. Carol. Hey, Jim. What a fantastic conference call. You just outdid yourselves once again. Oh, thank you. That was a long one. This for action alerts where I kind of tell it like it is. Thank you so much, Carol. What's going on? Thank you. Okay, so I was remembering when you prepared us a few months ago for a lot of pain in the tech stocks, but that we should just sit tight. And I wonder if the same can be said about some of the industrials. Uh, I've owned deer for a while. I have a general question and a specific one. Sure, go ahead. Do you think that the industrials jumping today is indicative of some change in sentiment or just a momentary pop? And is, do you think Deere's 2.5% gain is just part of that, or is the Raven deal adding a strong reason to stay the course? All right, Deere. Well, I, th- I think last week was artificial because there was a rebalancing. There's another one coming up. Uh, and, and it, uh, But the one thing I would say, Carol, and thank you for the kind comments about the actualersplus.com club, there's a June 30th crop report that comes out. The government releases a crop report. And if there's a bumper crop in corn and corn plummets, then deer will go down. But that's really just a reason to buy more deer because it's doing so well. And it's a multi-year move, as we learned from Agco. Thank you for the kind comments. Let's go to Marcus in North Carolina. Marcus. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Marcus. Happy Father's Day to you. Oh, thank you, Sam. It was glorious. What's going on? Fantastic. Uh, my question for you is about Micron. Uh, I know there's a chip shortage, but this stock hasn't done anything in like a month, and they report earnings next week. I was uh, wondering what your take might be uh, on Micron. It's very tough to figure because while there's chip shortage, it's not really Micron ships. We've started seeing some decline in pricing in some of those. I like Micron, but not as much as I like AMD, where I think once it closes with Xilinx, it's going to be a very different company. Let's go to Temmy in Maryland. Temmy. Yeah, how you doing, Mr. Kramer? I'm doing well. How about you, Temmy? I'm all right. I'm all right. The stock I'm calling about today is GE. I've held GE for some time now. Today they announced the reverse stock split. I'm just a little toned. I don't know if I should hold, sell, 
Oh, I want you to hold GE. This is Larry Culp's company now. He's doing a lot that's right. I would say buy if it dropped back to 11, but it hasn't been there. I think you're in great shape. Okay, guys, tomorrow's traders are going to go for the winners, not the losers, because we seem to have forgotten everything that took us down on Friday and the whole rent last week. On Man Money Tonight, the CEO of Box joined me right here for the first time four years ago. Now is coming public via a SPAC. Don't, well, I'm talking about full circle, huh? Don't miss my exclusive to find out how the company's preparing to take the tape. And then why the stocks that did well during the pandemic may have an uphill battle to climb in this market, including one very big one. And what does the semiconductor shortage mean for an automotive software company like CERN's if they're in so many cars? I'm talking to the company CEO, so stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. Earlier this year, the SPAC attack came screeching to a halt because there were far too many deals to digest, and the SEC started cracking down on them. But there are still hundreds of SPACs out there looking for startups to merge with, and we're watching to see if any of these deals might be enticing. For example, last week, Seven Oaks Acquisition announced that it's merging with Boxed, which is like a digital big box retailer selling food, household, and lifestyle products in bulk over the Internet. The deal didn't create much hype. The stock of Seven Oaks barely budged in response. But you know what? For you, that's a good thing. It means you're getting a decent entry point. So could Box be worth owning? The company's got an intriguing concept and an impressive growth rate. But it's an early stage story that's losing money with no expectation of profitability until 2025 at the earliest. Also, of course, we know there's savage competitors in this industry like Amazon, Costco. Still, it's worth a closer look. So let's dig deeper with Che Wong. 
Uh, he's the co-founder and CEO of Box, who was last with us back in 2017 to hear his pitch ahead of the SPAC merger with Seven Oaks acquisition. Welcome back to Bad Money. How are you? I'm good, Jim. Thanks for having me back. Uh, I was on Off the Tape years ago. I was wearing a hoodie. We were still a private company, and now I'm wearing a suit. So uh, it's good to be back uh, after all these years. Well, I always loved your concept. I drive by it all the time on Route set on Interstate 78. But I have to tell you, I was hoping that you would do a public offering so that people would get to know Box better. How are they going to get to know it now that you're just doing it with a SPAC? Well, that's uh, one of the big reasons why I'm here on, on your show. But overall, uh, uh, we felt like the SPAC product was great for us because of two main things. One was the quantum of capital that we can raise that we can then use to drive marketing, drive assortment expansion. Uh, and then two, uh, the ability to really tell the story of our B2B business recovering after a difficult year last year with COVID, uh, as well as our SaaS business. So uh, it's the reason why we went to SPAC. And there are trade-offs with SPAC versus a traditional IPO process, but we think Uh, The SPAC product or the SPAC route was the best one for us. Well, now you mentioned inspirational. The reason why we had you uh, off the charts, because I was just so uh, taken by your story personally. I want you to share it with people because it's pretty inspirational in itself. Yeah, you know, we started off uh, in a garage uh, in tropical New Jersey, uh, just central Jersey, if you believe that there is a central Jersey. Uh, but overall, humble beginnings. So uh, I, I grew up uh, as a as a child of immigrant parents uh, um, uh, without a bunch, without a silver spoon in my mouth. And to be able to live the American dream and to be on your show today and to drive uh, a business to the point where we're about to be a public company while doing what's right for the front lines, for those same folks that look a lot like my family when we first came to America. Um, it really is the American dream personified. Now, I feel like, you know, I, I love Costco. You watch the show. Uh, you have one of the secrets is the Kirkland brand. My wife tells me that your brand is a uh, is a terrific brand and it's getting more and more share. So why don't you tell us? Because I think that what's going to happen is if you really want to know where I think the money is, it's in the private label. That's right. So private brand already has become, you know, it's only about 100 items that we have for sale. That's private brand. But on 100 items, it's almost 15 to 20 percent of our our monthly sales these days. So uh, folks out there that really value not only um, the price, but also the quality uh, of the product, just like your wife. Uh, She seems like a very smart uh, person, uh, Jim, if I say so myself, uh, really are helping us drive that private label, private label penetration. So it's called Prince and Spring. Uh, is our private brand. Well, she wanted to me to ask you, are they the two streets in the village? Is that why you did it? I said, I don't know. I said, so, I'll ask them. <laughs> so uh, it was originally called Prince and Green, uh, but then we had this epiphany that we realized that there's already a P&G that sells some of the items that uh, we sell. So uh, we went with the other street, which is Prince and Spring, but uh, but hopefully uh, we're not taping this and hopefully no one out there will, will remember this. But uh, but yeah, Prince and, Prince and Spring... Uh, they don't really intersect, but that's the genesis of our story. Exactly. Now, in front of us, we've got, I think, some kind of choice items. We've got a huge box of Pirates booty. I think that a lot of people feel like they just go through one after another. I buy one at King's on the way home. I should be doing what you're doing. Obviously, yeah, giant rolls, of, in this case, of bounty, unbox of happiness. I mean, this is how people want to have things, right? They want it delivered to their house, and they want giant uh, portions. This is America. What we do is we service folks, not only B2C customers, but B2B customers with big items, big savings all across the country. Now, those things that you're buying, it's not just for folks that live on the coast. When we first started, we were heavily bi-coastal. But one of the biggest trends that we've seen since we've been on uh, your show is really the shift to more of the suburbs as well as a rural audience. So 
if you think about our customer base, we service a lot of rural areas where folks don't live within a 30, 60, 90 minute drive of a Costco, BJ's or Sam's Club. And these folks don't have access to a physical warehouse club, don't have access to physical wholesale, and probably don't have access to any of these courier uh, uh, kind of um, uh, startups out there uh, that bring uh, those to your home because they just live so far uh, in the countryside. Right, that's also B two B customers. Yeah, sorry, B two B customers are also very big. Wait a second, Costco can kill them, but not if Costco's not next to them. And you also have a that's software right. business that is that's pretty intriguing that can be kind of a Switzerland, right? That's right. So when we think about Box, the thing that makes us unique is we're not only an e-commerce wholesaler that services B2C customers, but we also service B2B customers. Think Fortune 500 companies, SMBs. We should be servicing the CNBC green room uh, when you guys have guest packs. All those snacks, pantry items, that really is our wholesale business. But that technology that powers that entire business makes us really unique. And we can now package that up. And beginning this year, we've begun selling that technology via a software business to enterprise retailers all around the world. So we're going to generate, uh, uh, we're, we're, we're looking to generate $12 million uh, in software revenue just in this first year alone, because there's a lot of companies out there that could really use a revamp of their e-commerce technology and their omni-channel capabilities. I couldn't agree more. And that's why I think that it's very rare to get a, a SPAC where there's a bargain under 10 Merging smart guys. I know uh, Drew Pearson from uh, General Atlantic, who used to be General Atlantic. Really, really terrific people you've got. That's Shay Wong. He's the CEO and co-founder of Box. I'm so glad the success you had from the last time you're on. And I wish you the best of luck. You're terrific. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jim. Uh, I'll wear a tie next time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Man, buddy, be back here for the break. Coming up, this summer, America is reopened for business. How can you cash in on the season's hottest trends? Stay with Kramer and find out next. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is Constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a seventy-five dollar sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com/slash/MadMoney. Just go to Indeed.com/slash/MadMoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com/slash/MadMoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Finds a great reopening stock. All sorts of companies keep trying to build themselves as return to normalcy plays. But in the eyes of the market, there's only one constant here. If a business did well during the pandemic, 
Wall Street's convinced that it's a COVID play and only a COVID play no matter what it's doing right now. Almost by definition, the pandemic winners are seen as reopening losers. In reality, I think that's wrong in terms of the fundamentals. Plenty of pandemic winners are also reopening winners, but that's not how the stocks trade. Take Thor Industries, the world's largest maker of RVs and motorhomes, both the ones you can drive and the ones you can tow. These are not your grandfather's motorhomes. They're technological marvels that appeal to pretty much everyone. I say everyone because their lineup is sold out for the rest of the year. The demand is that strong. Yet, Thor's stock peaked three months ago at 152, before we knew anything about how the people, how people would live in a post-pandemic world. The darn thing plummeted to 125 a week later. Then the stock started a long recovery back to the high 140s in early May, where it peaked again without taking out its previous high. Always a bad sign. Since then, it experienced another sickening decline, even though Thor reported a phenomenal quarter a few weeks ago with a magnificent $14 billion backlog. How come nobody cared about the quarter? First, putting the pandemic aside, Thor's raw costs have soared, led by steel and aluminum, something that will crimp their margins eventually. Given the level of demand here, I think they can pass most of those costs on to their customers. The real problem, though, many investors are convinced that people won't return to their airstreams because hotels are now safe again and air travel's roaring back. They view this as the last good quarter before the reopening makes Thor irrelevant. Now, I think they're wrong. They're anticipating too much, but they control the stock, not me. All right, we're seeing the same thing with Brunswick, the fantastic boat maker, which took it out its all-time high with a run to 115 in May, May 7 again, huh? Just like Thor, before a sickening slide down to the low 90s. Like Thor, Brunswick's essentially sold out of many models. I know from firsthand experience, I had to plan ahead six months to get my new Boston Whaler. Luckily, I placed the order last year, and it arrived in time for anniversary. Like Thor, Brunswick's business has only gotten better. Thanks to the Freedom Boat Club, where you can rent boats for a day, and all the people who went sailing to the pandemic because it was a safe way to go out, there's a whole new wave of consumers who love boating. That's what's so frustrating about these two stocks. COVID didn't just give them a temporary boost. It was a long-term game changer. People who might never have looked at an RV or a boat tried them and loved them. The backlogs are ridiculously long. Customers have had ample time to cancel their orders. Now that the pandemic restrictions have been lifted, but it hasn't happened. Both companies have excellent management, led by Bob Martin at Thor and David Folks at Brunswick. Bob, in particular, is a real straight shooter with a history of being self-effacing and straightforward when business was suboptimal. He came on and told us that. But right now, he's downright effusive. Yet none of this seems to matter to the stocks. I keep shouting that Thor and Brunswick have lost their cyclicality, secular growth. But Wall Street's not buying it. Not one minute. The bears are convinced that there's no way business can stay this good. Hence the ever-shrinking price-to-earnings multiples on great numbers. And look, it's not just boats and motorhomes. None of the pandemic winners can catch a break here. Here's one. Take Campbell's soup, okay? By managed own admission, Campbell, well, there were real execution issues in the later quarter, in the last quarter. And by the way, when I say it, execution issues, they pointed them out, right? Uh, they missed the projections. They had to cut the forecast. But the company has undeniably taken share in both soup and snacks. Think Pepperidge Farm, Snyder's, or Hanover Pretzels. Uh, arguably, if there were no COVID, if Campbell's Soup didn't have a huge year in 2020, thanks to stockpiling, and you simply looked at 2021 versus 2019, call it a gap year, the company's solid organic growth would probably be enough to send the stock higher. 
rather than pushing it down near its low. Unfortunately, Campbell's Soup won't get any credit until CEO Mark Klaus can explain. He's got to demonstrate now that, that, that costs are under control and the customers who tried his products during the pandemic are sticking with him. Given this is a seasonally tough quarter, though, I mean, maybe it, it may be too soon to bottom. We know the video game stocks have had a tough time. Take-Two Interactive almost always reports a great quarter with conservative guidance. When they did the same thing in February, the stock got annihilated, plumbing from 213 to 161 in one month's time. Since then, Take-Two struggled to get its groove back, even though business is booming and they got a terrific slate of new titles on the way. EA, Activision Blizzard are performing a little better, but they'll go out of style, too, unless they can prove that more people got hooked in their products this quarter. The most frustrating companies are, are companies that got a boost from a terrific news story during the pandemic, but now they're having a real hard time pivoting back to an old story that worked, a narrative that needs to be revived in the most obvious, Walt Disney. Last year, we got excited by the strength of Disney Plus, and the stock soared once the company cleaned up the balance sheet. Now, though, the narrative should be all about the reopening of the theme parks. Paris just came back last week. And also, how about a return of movie theaters with first one Disney movies? No. If I were the new CEO, Bob Chapek, I would personally call whichever team wins the NBA championship. Get to, get to start in five. Invite them down to Disney World for a huge celebration. And I would try to hang out with them, too. I'd also hold back new movies from the streaming service to get people excited about going back to the theaters again. If only to show, hey, look at us. We are the company for entertainment outside the house. Why don't you show them on cruise lines? Instead, it's easier for me to come out and recommend something like Cedar Fair. It's Six Flags. Six Flags, which doesn't hold a candle to Disney. That's got a simple story. Six Flags all parks. You don't have to worry about the slow and growth rate of their streaming video service. That's why Disney's got a broken stock. I think Chapek can turn things around. But he has to avoid the trap of Disney Plus becoming another ESPN, which dragged the stock down for years after their numbers peaked. Chapek needs to remind people that the rest of the company exists and is perfectly poised for the great reopening, even if there is a moderation in the rise of Disney Plus. If you want a straightforward reopening play, then go for planes. Right now, I like the airlines. Think Southwest or Delta. In theory, I'd like Boeing, too, but not after this quarter until we see the potential for an equity offering. Previous CFO didn't want to do it. Maybe the new guy does. Uh, companies that got a boost from COVID, I think Airbnb down here has got mojo. Bottom line. If your company made a killing during the pandemic, it's become toxic in this market, even if business is still booming. That could create some buying opportunities, but only if you're very patient and willing to take some pain. Cameron in Pennsylvania, Cameron! Jimbo, first time, long time. Can I you get like that. Towel away for me? All right, let's go to work. Uh, I'm talking about Carnival Cruise. I bought it about a year ago. I was going to hold it short term, but the more I'm thinking about it, the more I kind of want to hold it long term. Uh, just trying to get your thoughts on whether I should buy more, uh, sell it, or hold? I would hold it. Um, I do prefer a Norwegian Cruise because they do have a better balance sheet. Uh, Frank Del Rio's done a better job in terms of raising, raising the cash, and he's done a lot of good stuff when it comes to COVID. Let's go to Mike in California. Mike! Hey, a smoky Central California booyah to oh, you, Oh, darn, it's back. Oh, my God, it's back. I hope that they get rain. I hope everything happens good. What's up? Thanks, man. Hey, in 25 years of investing, Jim, I've learned more from you than anyone else. Uh, you, you are the Louis Rukeyser and Dick Davis uh, to me that they were for my late mom. You're Thank very you so kind. Much. Thank you. Thank you. That's very sweet. Thank you. So a few weeks ago, as well as uh, during the pandemic, you had the CEO of Lidl on talking about his prospects post his company's post-pandemic prospects. 
So I bought the stock, but I was stopped out when it dropped under the 50-day moving average. But I bought it back this Friday at the 150-day moving average. So they just received a private equity buyout offer of 62.10 per share for a gain of 80%. So one, thank you for the stock. And two, should I take the profits and buy that cashmere sweater or hold on? Oh, you go, you go right now and you get that cashmere sweater. You can go on Amazon Prime probably and get a pretty good one. And may I please thank Sarah Greenstein, who came on the show twice, told a remarkable story, helped out mightily in my mask competition and did everything right. And I hope that the uh, that she agrees with the takeover and gets to continue to run the company. Congratulations to you for nailing it. What a win. Business booming doesn't seem to matter. If your company killed it during the pandemic, it is toxic in this market. Much more man money ahead. Serence powers AI in nearly 300 million cars on the road globally. How is the company navigating the current automotive environment? I've got the CEO. Then how the Wall Street Bets crew makes even the worst Wall Street firms look like a collection of Warren Buffett's. Woof, woof. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. a new car in the past year, there's a good chance you're using software created by Serence. That's the world leader in automotive voice and AI. Their technology lets you speak to your car and connect to third-party applications. So turning on your Spotify playlist or ordering a cup of coffee from Starbucks without ever taking your hands off the wheel or your eyes off the road sounds pretty good to me. Even if you've never heard of Serence before, they're already the dominant player in the space. Their tech is in 325 million vehicles around the world, including one out of every two cars sold last year. No wonder the stock has had a huge run. Uh, Ever since Serence was spun off by Nuance Communications less than two years ago, it's jumped from 15 and changed to 111. That said, the stock's still down more than 20 bucks from its highs earlier this year. Could have more room to run? Let's check in with Sanjay Dewan. He's the CEO of Serence to learn more about his company and his prospects. Mr. Dewan, welcome to Mad Money. Hi, Jim. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, it is very exciting that, to have you because I remember the, sp- the spinoff. By the way, Nuance then goes on to get bought by Microsoft. They create a lot of value. But you've been able to create a lot of value with CERNs. How have you been able to do this? Did it help you to be your own company? Yes, absolutely, Jim. That was one of the main pieces behind the spin. Um, you know, Nuance, you know, had um, you know, started many different businesses in uh, many different verticals. And, uh, you know, we were one of the, the smaller ones because the company was becoming more like a healthcare company. Healthcare was becoming very dominant. And Nuance Auto, which became Serence almost one and a half years back, needed its own focus, its own identity. And, and that's what we did uh, in the spin that was effective October 1st. 2019, we created the company Serence. And since then, you know, we have been very focused on innovation. So we've been, we've introduced almost a dozen new products and, uh, you know, have been, uh, you know, staying extremely focused on, on creating uh, new AI technology for automotive. Now, it seems like you remind, your company reminds me of a company that you know all too well, Harman where we had to dish all the time to not spiral. I mean, how can you stay independent? I have to imagine that Harman, now Samsung, wants to buy Serence. <laughs> um, I, I very fondly remember, 
you know, every time there were earnings call and the nation, your conversations, I was uh, uh, running one of the divisions for uh, the nation at that time at Harman. And, um, you know, it's, it's lovely to be working with Harman now. And uh, we work with uh, all the tier ones, almost all the OEMs. Um, uh, Jim, focus for me is very simple. You know, I, I believe in kind of, you know, creating, you know, innovative products. And then, you know, what happens, you know, from a, you know, M&A or acquisition standpoint, you know, that's somebody else to decide. I'm focused on creating products and value for my customers. All right. right so what is the most used uh, uh, AI? I mean, for instance, I told my wife, because we have XM Series, I'm always looking for what channel the Phillies are on. Uh, and it's now, you know, it might be a 197. It might be, and I said, I would want to just say put the Phillies on. I mean, what is the most, what are the, the biggest users? I think, uh, you know, the uh, the biggest use cases are, you know, navigation, phone, and music search. These are the three most kind of, you know, uh, important use cases that, uh, you know, most of the uh, users use when driving cars. But these are only the starting points, Jim. You know, the uh, our goal is to create the best uh, co-driver experience, co-driver assistant that the world has ever seen. So we're, you know, looking at, you know, you know creating a completely seamless uh, experience for the driver for not just inside the car, but also outside the car. You know, as you, as you know, we all have a, you know, big digital life uh, outside the car as well, right? At the home, in the office and, and so on and so forth. And we want to integrate the digital experience in the car with the life outside the car. So the use cases would be things like, uh, you know, you are driving, you know, towards your home and you can set up uh, your systems, AI systems in the car where you, as you get closer, you say, hey, turn on my porch lights and switch on my air conditioning. And, you know, and, and all this happens, you know, while you are just, you know, one or two miles away from the, you know, from your home or, you know, you, you drive off and, and the systems know that your car is 50, 50 meters or more away from your home and garage doors close automatically. So uh, there are there are many, many kind of, you know, use cases that we are working on, you know, to, to seamlessly integrate the digital life of the driver. Oh, one last question. Uh, semiconductor shortage in autos, what are you thinking? Right. So we are a software company, right? So we, we um, about two-thirds of our revenue is completely software, which is not tied to... Uh, uh, to any, um, you know, sh- uh, the semiconductor shortage issues, Jim. Um, well, 100% of our revenue is software. So, um, but two-thirds is completely independent of the number of cars shipped. Oh, One-third okay. of our revenue is tied to uh, the car shipments, but we're seeing this quarter slight, you know, shortages. Um, you know, things should, um, you know, ease off as, as we get into the second half this year. But the good news, Jim, is that demand is through the roof. Um, you know, people want cars. People want to buy new cars. People want to buy used cars. So, from that standpoint, demand is not an issue at all that I see in the coming year. Well, terrific! I think your I think your company's in a fabulous position, Sanjay. And I want to thank you so much for coming on the Mad Money, Sanjay Jawan, CEO of Surin, CRNC. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Well, they power half the cars, and they, you're probably using them. I like the story. Mad Money's back in. Coming up next. Let's make money together. What do we got? Kramer's bringing the thunder and answering your burning questions in today's edition of The Lightning Round. 
Okay, so what happens when that multiple shrinks? It usually means that the earnings are going to fall apart next year. I disagree with that judgment. I'm with you. I know the stock can go lower because the chart is hideous, but I want to stick with Louisiana Pacific. Let's go to Corey in New York. Corey. Hi, Jim. Big fan. Thank you. I've been watching for a while now. Oh, that's fantastic. Thank you. I would like your opinion on GEVO, ticker G-E-V-O. You know, GEVO is the kind of company I think that people should have room in their portfolio for because it's a a way to be able to have fuel that is not bad for, you know, look, green chemicals are the future, okay? Exxon should buy these guys. Let's go to Richard in Missouri. Richard. Hey, booyah, Jim. What's going on, Richard? Hey, hey, not much. Uh, the company I'm calling about, I've been a customer and subscriber for about five years. I was so happy with their cameras and their service, and I started my shares a year ago. Uh, I think it might be a good inexpensive stock to buy right now. How do you feel about Arlo Technologies? You know, I, I thought that I thought this was a uh, a commodity company on, for cameras, uh, security cameras. I got to do some work on that because I. I I don't want to just say point black. I disagree with you, but that, that was my impression. Let me do some more work. Let's go to uh, Clark in Florida. Clark. Hey, Jim. Booyah. Booyah. Big in the market today. Booyah. What's uh, going listen, on? I just wanted to uh, get your opinion on Nicola. You know, with that uh, 18 million share. You know, uh, after Lordstown, after what happened to Nicola, no, let's, life's too short. Let's pick a different one of these. Let's not go for that one, okay? Let's go to John in Ohio, please. John. Hello, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. No problem. Last up, long-time listener, first-time caller. Excellent. Last year at the height of the... Can you hear me? Yes, yeah, sure. Last time at the height of the pandemic, I took advantage of an undervalued stock called Advantage Strange Systems, WMS. It's done very well, and I'd like your thoughts on whether to buy, sell, or hold. I think it's going to be viewed as a pandemic play uh, with the opening... You know, to me, it's going to be one of those stocks where people say, okay, all that work was done during the pandemic, and now it's got no mojo. Look, I think the stock's going to come down, but I agree with you. I think it's a very good situation, okay? It's just a nice, medium-sized cap story about building drainage perfect. I, I, but then again, remember, I like the Lenar call, and they're kind of like class pants here. Let's go to Tiffany in New York. Tiffany. Hi, Jim. Hi, hi Tiffany. Hi. Hi, thank you so much for taking my call. Of course. 
you're, you know you're my favorite person on television. Oh, you're very nice. Thank you. Thank you no, very seriously, much. No, seriously, I subscribed to cable because of you. Uh, well, uh, you're very <laughs> kind. Don't cut the cord. <laughs> well, <laughs> I always learn so much from you, though, and I subscribe to Real Money as well. Thank you. Oh, I got my blog. That's so nice. Thank you. How can I help you? <laughs> Um, so my question is about what do you think about Marathon Oil? Well, you know, I think Marathon Oil is okay. I got an upgrade today. You know, I prefer Chevron because you read what I write. But you're going to be fine in Marathon. It's just not as high quality as I'd like. But it's a $13 stock that's probably going higher. And, and thank you. Those kind words are really amazing. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, has the Reddit revolution reached its Waterloo? Kramer on why the memes need the market, and not the other way around. Next. Just when meme investing started getting mainstream attention, the darn thing peaked partially because Wall Street bets became too vile in its tone, even for the Internet. The misogyny here is off the charts, but mostly because they've started to lose people a lot of money. In the last two weeks, we've seen recommendations on Wall Street bets that make even the dumbest Wall Street analysts look like Warren Buffett. There was that ridiculous attempt to push Wendy's to the high 20s that failed miserably, a truly awful suggestion to buy Corsair Gaming right into a flood of insider selling. It was like they were just waiting for the memesters to take the bait. And a top tick in Cleveland Cliffs that shows these guys don't have a clue how the smokestack stocks work. While I agree with them about clean energy fuels, we had the CEO on the show just last week. I only blessed this natural gas for, uh, story for speculation, meaning don't buy it with money you can't afford to lose. Now, the worst of all might have been the total gaffing of their followers in Petco Health. The Wall Street Bets crew saw that 25% of the float had been sold short, so they thought they could engineer a short squeeze. That's kind of what they did with GameStop. Uh, well, the stock spiked from 22 to 28, but then it plummeted right back to 22 after the shorts didn't fall for it. And anyone who bought the spike on WSB's suggestion annihilated. Meanwhile, everyone's tired of this BlackBerry push. And while I get the logic of their attempted short-busting in Bed Bath & Beyond, it's proving to be a loser for them, just like Petco. I actually like Bed Bath in low to mid-20s because CEO Mark Triton is very good at his job. But the meme guys only care about the short positions, not the fundamentals, which leaves them with AMC and GameStop. They're only winners. After Wendy's, uh, where there was no follow-through, Corsair, where their push was met with that gigantic amount of insider selling, and Cleveland Cliffs, where they started pushing a steelmaker right as the, as the cyclicals went out of style, the memesters are killing you with their recommendations, Petco being the worst. And look, even AMC and GameStop aren't looking that great right now, are they? AMC is a $28 billion company with very little hope it can survive, unless it keeps monetizing the meme support by creating new stock. If, if the CEO, Adam Aaron, senses how desperate the Wall Street bets people are uh, after this string of losses, then what he'll do is he'll sell them tens of millions of shares to take the balance sheet problems off the table. Even then, though, AMC should not be a $28 billion company. The problem with selling a ton of stock is it tends to push the price down. So AMC has to do it at the money selling to get the job done. The Wall Street bets crowd will do the rest. They need the stock higher so they can say that they know how to do something. I'm sure they'll support it because every tout needs a win now and then, don't they? Everyone in this industry knows that it's a perilous time to be in the movie theater business. Sure, Adam can use AMC stock as currency to buy up his 
say is down and out competitors, assuming they'll accept a stock for stock deal here. But he still has to go to the studios and say, listen, we need exclusivity for two weeks now. Uh, now that the pandemic's ending and people are going out again. Well, companies like Disney bite. I think they should to tell make it so that they're an, uh, let's say, a past a pandemic story. No more. How about that? We mentioned that earlier with Disney, but who knows? GameStop's feeling like a house of cards with the stock now down over 100 points, 100 bucks from its uh, recent highs. Well, here they need a brilliant plan to turn the business around. While Ryan Cohen has brought in some crackerjack executives from Amazon, this is a company that needs to transform itself now. And we have no idea what it wants to become. It can't hold on as a brick-and-mortar video game retailer. That just doesn't work. If you buy GameStop, you're betting they can use the meme wave to raise a lot more money in order to totally remake the business. But we have no insight into what that plan might be. A tiny series of Best Buys, maybe? And management seems to have no desire to give us any. Maybe they just don't have one and are just spitballing all day. At this point, we don't know whether the meme playbook will keep working with AMC or GameStop. But when Wall Street Bets tries to branch out into other stocks, they've crushed everyone who listened to them. It turns out these guys only have enough firepower to pop up a couple stocks at most. I think they're nothing more than tough-to-read Eugene O'Neill plays. Think the hairy ape, not planet of the apes. More importantly, they're horrendous stock pickers. And as we used to say when a really bad stock picker entered the fray, the Iceman cometh. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 